This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, two decades ago, or even a decade ago, the world seemed to be a safer place, a more stable place. And indeed, to such an extent that an American political scientist by the name of Francis Fukuyama wrote a book in 1992. It was a book of political philosophy. It was called The End of History. And it's a remarkable book in many ways. It was at a time when the old Soviet Union had collapsed and uh, we thought uh, that liberal democracy had triumphed. We're in a very different place today and things seem to be getting worse. Uh, of course, last week, the murder of Alexei Navalny by Vladimir Putin, as it were, is an exclamation mark in the shifting world that we live in and its global politics. And at the weekend, there was the Munich Security Conference, which is held every year, uh, where all the nations of Europe meet to reflect on the world and what they need to do. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand now Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne is Associate Editor of uh, Politico. She was previously an Irish people know her as the Washington correspondent for the Irish Times, one of the very best journalists working out there. Suzanne, you were at the Munich Security Conference and indeed it was addressed by Ulya Navalny, uh, the wife of the murdered man, Alexei Navalny. It was a very moving address watching it on television. She's a very brave woman and she promised to continue her own, her, her husband's work. That must have been a very poignant moment, but also in the context of my introductory remarks about the end of history, we've come a long way and we're beginning a new chapter of history that is extremely dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, uh, good to be with you, Eamon. Yeah, it was a pretty, um, I suppose, downbeat, to put a mildly, atmosphere at the Munich Security Conference. I mean, a year ago when it took place, Things were looking a lot better for Ukraine on the battlefield. Yes. Uh, there was talk of this counteroffensive. Things were more positive. That was certainly not the case this time. So it's, as you say, it goes on every year uh, for the last six years. 
And it began on Friday and just as people were arriving and senior people like Kamala Harris, the US Vice President, and Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, just as they were all arriving, this news came through about Navalny. Yes. And people were completely shocked. I mean, somebody said to me, we're not surprised. We knew this was going to happen. But, you know, hearing that news there. So what happened then was um, Kamala Harris was due to give her set piece speech on the Friday afternoon. And we'd heard, picked up, oh, somebody had said that and Navalny's wife was present and, you know, wasn't able to confirm that. And, and the next thing was she came up to the stage. So I was actually in a kind of spillover room that the actual um, conference hall was so packed and everybody just gasped. And then she, she took to the stage and basically said, you know, I wondered whether I should get up here on stage or I should fly back to my children. And then I thought about what my husband would do and he would do this. So look, it, it was a kind of a, a reminder. And to be honest, I think most people think the timing was not coincidental. I think Putin kind of does this. So it was a yes. message. Um, and it completely overshadowed the weekend. It was a reminder of, you know, the brutality of, of the Putin regime, frankly. Yes. And last week, the possibly the next president of the United States, Donald Trump, was a former president of the United States, put a a large question mark against NATO, the North Atlantic Alliance, which has existed since 1949. It was post-war set up. And it is, that is the security blanket for Europe. It ensures, for example, that America will always come to Europe's defense. And Donald Trump, uh, who's leading in the polls and expected by many to be the next U.S. president, said that NATO don't pay their bills, they're delinquent, and if uh, Putin or anyone else wants to do something to them, it can do what the hell he wants. Now, yeah. the goalposts have moved, and Europe is not assured uh, now. Its security is not assured. How central to the discussions in Munich, and indeed in Brussels where you're based, is that Trump outburst if you like it's it, it's it's not it's a straw in the wind but that wind's been blowing for some time now hasn't it yeah i think it really caused huge shock in brussels when, when he came up with those statements the idea that he was encouraging really he was giving a carte blanche for putin to invade yes it seemed to some people that was seen as a kind of a new step well, in one way, it was, it, interestingly, at Munich, there were lots of member, American presence. There, there traditionally has always been people like Joe Biden used to go to the Munich Security Conference and John McCain. And actually, a lot of people were saying, well, Biden is currently the president and we're still not getting the money for Ukraine from yes. the US. You know, so I think there's a broader worry that what Trump is saying is symptomatic of a possible fading of US interest yes. uh, in Ukraine. So, you know, you had a lot of the Democrats who were there, mostly Democrats, to be honest, who were kind of saying, oh, look, it's, it's going to happen and trying to reassure uh, the the Ukrainians who were there, Zelensky and his foreign minister. Um, but in a sense, and we know that the reason he can't get through the package, Biden, is because of the makeup of the US Congress. But um, I do think that's the re that really put a dampener on things, the fact that the US, and it's a timing thing. In one way, I think people want to progress this and get those weapons and get that money from you from the U.S. before it's, it's all about what you can do before you, uh, Donald Trump gets in. You know, so for yes. example, this is another example where one of the kind of sub teams was it's going to be a new Secretary General of NATO, Mark Rutte. 
but that's going to be kind of decided before Trump gets in. So I think there is a real, there's a sense that there's a window now that you're two years on from the Ukraine war and that things are not going well. That's the reality for Ukraine at the moment. And Ukraine is desperate to get what it needs now. Um, in the next month or two, and they feel that if it's left any longer, it could be too late, particularly as Russia continues to put all these resources into the war. Yes, we're four days away from the second anniversary of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but you know your Washington, Suzanne, and mm. the Congress has taken two weeks off. Yeah, It's controlled that Republican Party majority who, who must give their okay to the money for Ukraine is controlled by Trump. It doesn't appear that they want to give the money to Ukraine. And indeed, it looks to most people's eyes that Ukraine, as far as the United States are concerned, is a waste of money, a waste of time. And that fits into another thing, I'm sure, as a former Washington correspondent, you'll understand. Uh, the Americans uh, taking into account Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, and other places feel they've spent, as they say, too much blood and treasure in, in foreign mm -hmm. wars. And this is the trend towards isolationism. It certainly is. And I mean, one of the differences, I suppose, with the Ukraine war is that the Americans are not going to put troops in there. And, and indeed, actually, neither are the Europeans. So I think the danger now for Ukraine, and this is why they are not in a good situation, is that the Western allies, and particularly the U.S., also, Germany has now given a huge amount, have given enough to keep Ukraine in the fight. Yes. But it's not enough for them to beat Russia at the moment, it seems. And that's now the worry that it's going to turn into some kind of stalemate. You yes. know, because they just don't want to give more, you know, they're kind of reached their limit in a sense. You know, and no one, particularly Donald Trump, wants to back a loser. And, yes. you know, this idea that, so they, that's why they feel that if they could get that bit extra, they might be in with this fighting chance because obviously the Russians have a lot more resources. This has been the case throughout history. Although I thought it was interesting, someone said to me that one of the problems now is that kind of front line between Ukraine and Russia, both sides need more men, need more soldiers. But Zelensky is under pressure on the conscription issue in Kiev. A lot of backlash to yes. that, whether he will introduce conscription. And then Putin doesn't want to introduce, bring more troops to the uh, front line until next month's election, which we know he's going to win, but he wants to keep up the morale. So that was quite interesting that the two sides, for different reasons at the moment, you know, are not going to put those more resources in. There's a bit of a stalemate going on. Um, but that's obviously going to change ultimately with Russia, and they're going to go back in with more resources ultimately. Yes, and the average age of Ukrainian soldiers is 43 and they have no, they're running out of ammunition and there are cruise missiles out there. I think Germans have them, but there are some, but they can't get their hands on them. Let me ask you about the mood in Munich. I know, for example, you interviewed J.D. Vance, who's an interesting character. Uh, people who read books will know he had a very f successful book, Hill Hillbilly Elegy. In the last midterm elections with Trump's backing, and Trump's backing was usually the kiss of death uh, in those midterm elections, but J.D. Vance was elected to the Senate. You interviewed him, and he has, he really is an isolationist, it, it appears. What did you make of him, and what did he say to you? Yeah, it was fascinating, as you explained there, Eamon. I mean, he's so well known back in 2016 because he wrote this book, Hillbilly Elegy, that seemed to diagnose the Trump 
phenomenon. He, he yes. It was a memoir about his own upbringing in the Appalachians and in big poverty. And then he eventually went to Yale and he was kind of describing this uh, hollowing out of the Rust Belt in the US and the economic poverty that was there through really as a result of globalization in a sense. But then he had this reverse that we've seen a lot of Republicans do or a lot of people do and and seem to embrace Trump. And then with the help of Trump, as you say, won that election. So he came to Munich. I interviewed him. It was fascinating because he was one of the few, by definition, the American congressmen, and there were a lot of them, nearly about two dozen, are all interested in this kind of issue, you know, have been to Ukraine. We're trying to show everyone, look, America is still committed. But he almost, I did an interview with him, but he was proud to stand out as this, you know, contrarian. And he was just saying a lot about what Trump says, saying, you know, this is not in America's interest, Um, and and which was very, I suppose, depressing for the Ukrainians. He said, they don't have the resources to win this war. And that's what he kept saying. He said, like, let's be realistic. Now, I asked him, because the Navalny deaths, some people had thought, you know, could this be... um, could this probe a kind of a, a new ideas among the Republican Party that they, it's a reminder of how dangerous Putin is? And I said, you know, does does the death of Navalny change things? And he said, no. He said something like, look, he's a brave guy. He was a brave guy, but it doesn't change things. Um, so he's Trump light. So he was positioning himself uh, very much as the Trumpian there. Uh, rumors that he could be tapped as a, a running mate for Trump, but the, these kind of this horse trading always goes on before elections. I don't know, but he was very much bringing his message to Europe. And incidentally, Eamon, as an aside, I was chatting to him before I, I started the interview, and he told me he'd just been to Ireland on a holiday with his wife. <laughs> so, but he, he, it was the first time in a kind of public, I, I mean, yes. first to Europe as a public figure, as, as a US senator. And But I think he captured what a lot of the Republican Party are feeling at the moment about further aid for Ukraine. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now, this poses massive questions, Suzanne, for Europe. Yeah. The European elections are coming this year. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen is also running. She announced yesterday that she's running again for the presidency of the European Commission. And... Mm-hmm. The divisions in Europe are also of serious concern. How prepared has Europe been for this dramatic switch in the United States, this dramatic change in that they don't see themselves as the leader of the West? They don't see themselves as the supporters and the proper uppers of NATO. They don't see themselves really coming to Europe's rescue, it seems. If, for example, Putin gets his way in Ukraine, even if Zelensky has to negotiate over territory and effectively not fulfill the mission, what does Putin do next? What does Russia do next? And what can Europe, how can Europe respond? Were all of those things, are all of those things now up for discussion? Yeah, very much so. I mean, particularly those Baltic nations, the Estonian Prime Minister, Kaya Kallas, was there, the Lithuanian Foreign Minister. And they were kind of quite gloomy, saying, you know, we need a reality check about how much we're doing to help Ukraine, because they're they're petrified that Russia is going to, to win in some way. Yes. And what that means, then that's they're going to be emboldened. Now, in terms of NATO, I mean, one of the things the Europeans say, and they're right, was that the only time this Article 5 provision of NATO uh, was invoked, which is the concept of an attack on one member, yes. the attack on us all, was it after September the 11th. Um, and, you know, that the idea that, you know, the US can could be attacked. I mean, one of the things last week was that this security threat in America was about nuclear capability by Russia in space, for example. Yes. So, you know, it's not just geography in, in this day and age. But in saying that, obviously, these countries are on the front line there. They're right beside uh, Ukraine. So what the EU is saying, of course, this is kind of difficult territory for Ireland in a way. Very. I mean, one of the things von der Leyen said on Monday when she was talking about her re-election was all about the whole European Defence Union and how this was going to be a big focus. Um, and, you know, actually it's interesting, she was kind of saying, I think she's going to dial back a little bit about the Green Deal and the climate policies because there's been a lot of protests about that. And But I think she feels that she's got support from most member states to move forward with more defence capabilities for the EU. So um, that's now there's going to be interesting questions for Ireland because there'll be the whole discussion about the use of EU money um, for defence. The, the idea of euro bonds, do you collectively raise debt to pay for defence, which yes. is kind of like modelled on the COVID scheme. Yes. Um, now, I'm sure the Irish officials are doing their, you know, know the legalities around this, but there is no doubt about it that that is the, going to be one of the priorities, if not the priority for the European Commission for the next five years. It's trying to bulk up its defence capabilities. Although it has to be said, the way countries in Europe give help to Ukraine, it's bilaterally, like they decide themselves, their government yeah. in Germany or France or Spain decides. Um, so other cynics would say, well, the EU can't really do that much anyway. It doesn't have the resources. That's the job of member states. So whether it will mean much, I don't know. But she is definitely going to campaign on that, I think, as these European elections approach. Europe doesn't appear at the moment to have a leader, Mm. a strong leader. 
and it has in the past. I mean, the alliance of France and Germany, for example, was and is regarded as the most powerful influence in European thinking and indeed in European action. That alliance doesn't appear to be as strong. There's instability in the German coalition between the parties involved, one of them, the Greens, of course. But the, the divisions in Europe seem to be serious. Orban in Hungary, for example, would regards himself as friendly with Vladimir Putin. The Poles, on the other hand, although they are some of them very right wing, they've had a change of regime now. An old European hand is back as prime minister. They would be also in Putin's mind if he gets into go mode. Mm. Will mm. Ireland have to reflect on our neutrality? Well, I think, you know, it was significant that Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, attended the Munich Security Conference. It was the first time an Irish Taoiseach has done. Yes. But, you know, it was peripheral. I mean, he was on a panel about neutrality, you know, which was not exactly central to the discussion there, being quite honest. Now, I mean, in fairness, that the military, you know, the Munich Security Conference, by its nature, it attracts like defence companies and generals. So, so in a way, you could say, well, it's admirable that Ireland had the presence there to say, listen, there's another way to discuss this. Let's yes. talk about what other way we can help. But to be honest with you, that the conversation was very peripheral. Um, but you're right about the divisions. Actually, one of the other things that emerged from Munich was that the German leader, Olaf Scholz, gave a big speech in Germany. But in that speech, he um, urged other European countries to match German spending on defense and give more weapons to Ukraine. And the French um, were briefing, <laughs> to be honest, a senior official behind the scenes. They were not happy. They were furious, in fact saying, hang on, you know, we're doing as much as we can. We mightn't be giving as much to Ukraine in terms of, you know, the numbers, but it's the quality, not quantity, that counts. And they talked about the specific cannons they've sent are more useful than what the Germans have sent and this kind of thing. And it was quite interesting that if they, you know, if they start squabbling among themselves, it becomes competition. That's not good either. Um, but I thought that was interesting that if Germany, because we all say, we all know that Germany got too dependent on Russia and Russian gas, but there has been a massive shift now in Germany and they're ploughing massive money into their own defence and giving a lot of help to Ukraine but now if they start getting frustrated that they're doing too much of this I think that doesn't bode well for European security on Ukraine over the next couple of years particularly exactly the same even particularly if Berlin and Paris are squabbling that is the relationship at the heart the fulcrum of the European Union for decades and that is not good for Europe and Putin would be very very happy uh, to see this now, the European elections, Suzanne, are we likely to see a significant or even dramatic shift to the right? I think we probably will. Um, now, this happened every five years with the elections, and there's lots of analysis about this. But the thing is, one of the ironies of the European Parliament elections is that right-wing politicians over the years have done very well because a lot of voters will vote for people and send them to Europe who they may not vote for at home. Yeah, a protest so vote, think, as it were. Exactly. Nigel yeah. Farage, the huge irony of him is that uh, the UKIP actually made its name by being members of the European Parliament. And yes. that propelled him into a, a serious political position. The other person would be Marine Le Pen, the, the, the head of the far-right front. So, um, in France, so the National Front, uh, otherwise. So, you know, you've got that tradition of these far right people in the European Parliament. Now, the, the question is then, how does that shift things? I mean, there's a broader debate about how important is the European Parliament. 
Parliament. Now, anyone listening to this, MEPs would, you know, absolutely be appalled by me suggesting that. But there's an argument that it's not, you know, it's more important what happens in the European Council among among the leaders. It's more important who's in power in Europe. Because they yes. ultimately make a lot of the decisions than what happens in the European Parliament. However, that means if there's more, though, of a right-wing surge, it gets into complicated things about groups in the European Parliament and coalitions. And the, the, the far-right or the or quite right-wing parties, if they have more power, they will call the shots on a lot of things. So I think especially things like um, environment, I mean, th- I think that's going to be huge. And the European Union has been a leader in that. And if you've got a big right-wing in the Parliament, yes. that's going to change that completely because... They get involved the Parliament towards the end of the legislative process where they make changes or make amendments and they could block things at that point. So I think that is a real worry. And then the other one is immigration. I think that's going to be a big issue in the election as well in various countries. I'm thinking Austria, for example. Every time you talk to an Austrian minister, they bring it up that they have taken X amount of, of refugees. All these countries have immigration pressures as well. So I think that will manifest in the, in the election. But, you know, how much of an impact will it really drag Europe to the right? I'm not so sure. Now, Suzanne, we've two radical, as they would describe themselves, Irish MEPs, like Wallace and Claire Daly. Some extraordinary stories have emerged about their contacts with Russians and with right-wing groups. Do you know or can you assist us with what's going on there? Mm, well, I mean, the first thing to say is that uh, both uh, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly are very well known here, not just among Irish people, yes, Irish I, journalists. Uh, yeah. You know, I know talking to my colleagues from all over Europe, they all seem to know them. Um, uh, now, some of this is to do with, I think, and this is no disrespect to Irish politicians generally, but because, you know, Ireland is an English-speaking country, we kind of, you know, they give their speeches in English and, yes. and it kind of gets more pick-up. Um, but they are very, very well known. And, um, so they, one of the latest, uh, the latest kind of scandal is about a Latvian MEP who, uh, there are connections with her who is said to be working against European interests and working for Russia essentially in the European Parliament. Um, and then there's been controversy about that and, um, you know, their connections with her. And they have said they didn't travel with her to this specific event in Lithuania. Um, and this MEP has denied it. But there is a huge investigation probe now and interest into what's happening uh, in terms of other MEPs uh, in the European Parliament and the Russian influence. And actually, this has always been an issue. I mean, Le Pen's party was funded by Russia yep. but for a while. Um, you've had, I remember doing this at the very beginning of the war, looking through the voting records of MEPs on Russia resolutions. And of course, a lot of the Germans, the SPD party in, the Ger- in Germany yes. had voted, you know. So, um, but now, of course, particularly since that Qatar gate scandal where we had that, you know, bribery scandal in the European Parliament about Qatar, you know, there's, I think there's going to be actually a huge interest, a legitimate interest now in influence in the European Parliament, disinformation ahead of the elections, those kind of things. Um, so anyway, that w- that's one to watch the issue over this Latvian MEP as Zandoka, I think is her name right um that would be something that would be running in the next few months and we'll see um does anything emerge about her links with russia just a final question suzanne about ursula von der leyen her bid for another five-year term in the context of what's happening in the gaza strip with the israelis and palestinians and also in the context of the uh, ukraine russia uh, war 
will these issues play a part in, will they be factors, significant factors in the European elections across Europe? Or will it vary from place to place? Yeah, I think they will actually, but I think you're right, they'll vary from place to place. Um, but these, I mean, in countries like Spain and Belgium here, for example, um, they're going to be a big issue. Uh, Germany, I mean, in Munich at the weekend, I walked out of the main conference hall right in the middle of Munich and there was a big pro-Israel demonstration. Happening. Yes. And, you know, it was just a remark, you know, it, it just brought home the reality that they're, they're very different perspective in most of Germany, quite frankly, than what um, what we have in Ireland, for example, yes. or Spain or Belgium. That is the reality. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of, I think, I think it will though, and I think if, you know, the, the assault on Rafa, the imminent assault if that happens and the EU seems to do nothing, I think that's going to become increasingly pro- problematic for von der Leyen uh, and the Commission not to do something on this. So much to watch there is the High Representative Joseph Borrell. He's a Spanish politician. He's a top diplomat and he has always been more pro-Palestinian. So, you know, he's been, he's not on the same page here at all. No, he's been with, very outspoken, hasn't he? Yeah, so I think that's going to be extremely interesting in terms of uh, what the EU does if this whole issue escalates now in the next few months. But I think it will. I think it will play dynamic. Although I think one of the most interesting is what it's going to do for Biden's prospects in some of those swing states. Right. Because I reported myself up in Michigan and it's got a big Muslim population. Yes. And there are reports now that it's, you know, that's becoming a problem with him, for him. It is, that's yes. A lot of that. And that's a swing state, so very marginal. And that if he lost, you know, a couple of hundred thousand votes or whatever in that state over this issue, uh, that could be a big, big challenge for him in, in the state of Michigan. Yes, and there are over 240,000 Arab Americans in that state. And uh, it looks extremely unlikely that as things mm. stand at the moment, uh, he can win it. Okay, Suzanne, we're really grateful to you for joining us. Uh, Suzanne Lynch is now the associate editor at Politico. She's based in Brussels. She was previously the Irish Times, Washington correspondent. We're very grateful to Suzanne, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.